0: I promise, this is not an ARG. Hello again, dearest guest. Apologies if you took the moonlit trek up to the foxhole this past month. I was seeing to a few pagan obligations that took me to the domains of the Fae. Namely, I was in Scotland again. And it was absolutely delightful. I'm actually one-fourth Fae myself. I've got a little bit of trickster blood running through my veins. So it's always a treat to run with the old fairy crew in the highlands and make mischief, dance amongst the fungal fairy circles, and accidentally get married to a couple of wayward travelers that feasted upon said fairy circles. Just normal contract stuff happens all the time. But rest assured, dear listener, I have a tale prepared for you this evening. This one actually comes as a recommendation from my fae friends regarding their waterborne cousins up in the Minch, the stretch of water between the Western Isles and mainland Scotland. Yeah, this is a another ocean-based legend i'm sure it's been said by somebody else before but i personally find the sea to be intensely erotic and i really have a hard time resisting its call but my dear guest sit back relax allow me to pour you a bit of grog and enjoy the tale of the blue men of the midge welcome welcome to the foxhole and fox so esoterica. I promise I was sober when I wrote this. So listen up. Here's the story about a paranormal comedy YouTube series that lives in a blue world. And all day and all night, and every episode is hosted by me, Four City Fox, inside and outside Blue the men in the water, which is also blue next to Scotland, with blue on the flag, and blue the wives of the sailors, who drown in the blue water, so listen. We got a fan going on in the background. We got a heat wave going on right now. I will not be accepting criticism. The legend known as the Blue Men of the Minch, also known as the legend of the Storm Kelpies, is a legend that pertains to the Minch Strait, a stretch of water in between the Outer Hebrides in the Inner Hebrides Highlands to the northwest of Scotland. The beings in this legend are indiscernible from you or, well, not me. I am not a human. I am a fox. But. They look exactly human, Well, with only one difference. These beings are blue. I'll get into more details in the introductory bit, but the reason this legend spoke to me was because, early in August, the Puma and I actually visited our friend in Scotland, that wasn't a bit. And then we also visited other friends in Ireland, but I don't think we visited any haunted Irish locales. So Scotland is the area that's getting represented on the channel today. On our trip, the three of us, Zuma, me and our friend Zip with the Tiger, visited the southernmost Hebridean island of Barra, which is famous for having a fucking beach as its airport. And flying in an airplane and landing on a beach is the sort of thing you can't not talk about if you have a YouTube channel. So naturally, I had to look up a Hebridean legend to justify talking about that flight on my YouTube channel. There is a chance that a non-small portion of this video will be about airplanes, despite this being a legend about boats. But yes, vacations aside, there aren't too many other bits of housekeeping to discuss. The encyclopedia collection this evening will be the folked-up sub-collection of the Iramabu Phantasma series, some more folkloric, older legends that don't really pertain to the modern day. And the potion brood, before I destroy it and spill it all over my computer, is Gracioso Hugo Blue mit dem Geschmack von Blauen Bierin. Smell- ooh, 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 so are you all familiar with grape medicine? I'm not excited. Ooh, it's bubbly. Uh, when we were buying this, Zuma was afraid that the bottle was blue and that the liquid wouldn't actually be blue. It would be like a Sprite situation and this whole video would be in vain. But, Gracioso's Hugo Blue is indeed, after all, blue. So, if every part of my life is upended by this drink, at least I have that going for me. I'm like the smell is like way worse than the flavor. The flavor is fine. It's like sweet. Um and it's underwhelming, but it's bubbly and it's sweet and it doesn't taste alcoholic and I can see this being dangerous for some folks. Maybe even me. Holy fuck, wait. Okay, now I just realized last episode was the Gray Man of Polly's Island and this episode is the Blue Men of the Minch. So it's, it's not even just like oceans that are the relating factor. I'm just fucking colorful men are my favorite topic. Let's make like a bewitched sailor and dive right in, shall we? It's probably safe to assume that most people watching this video are familiar with sirens. And indeed, the Scottish merfolk-adjacent sea beings, known as Storm Kelpies, share the same tricking sailors into drowning themselves habit as their Grecian counterparts, though they often engage in poetry competitions, as opposed to a singing competition. The blue men of the Minch are also said to have the ability to control the weather, as well as the ocean's rapids and tides, to aid in their ship sinking tendencies if the charisma check fails. Now, according to legend, these violent blue men are often linked to fairies and the fae, though they are also specifically described as Kelpies from time to time, or Scottish fae water spirits that usually look like a horse but have the ability to shapeshift into men. This is a bit of a misnomer because these blue men are never, ever described as horse-like, unfortunately. The blue men's motivation? Well, that's a bit harder to parse, but we'll certainly circle back to that question the more we discuss the origins of the blue man myth in general later on in the episode. Picked sailors, Norse Vikings, Scottish priests, and all manner of folk who dwelt in the waters near the Shiant Islands have reported these treacherous fae, and a considerable number of such seafarers have met their fates at the hands of them. But before I go any further allow me to share my sources this part of the video is always funny because you can tell exactly when i'm about to pull up the google doc i used the book wonder tales from scottish myth and legend written by a folklorist donald mackenzie in 1917. i also used a brief section from the encyclopedia of celtic mythology and folklore written by patricia monaghan i used the book superstitions of the scottish islands and highlands written by john gregory campbell in 1900 exactly the year on Patricia Monaghan's book wasn't important because it's not old. I used the book The Fabled Coast, Legends and Traditions from Around the Shores of Britain and Ireland, written by Sophia Kingshill and Jennifer Westwood in 2012. The year on Patricia Monaghan's book wasn't important because it's not old. I don't really make sensible notes. I used the article Scottish Myths, The Blue Men of the Minch on the website The Scotsman. I used the book Folk Tales of Moor and Mountain, written by Winifred Finley in 1969, that I didn't actually read because it's 40 bucks plus shipping, but was conveniently summarized as much as I needed it to be on the blog Writing in the Margins. And lastly, I used Wikipedia. So I've described the gist of how a Storm Kelpie encounter usually goes, namely with a shipwreck. But if you end up in a shipwreck, it's a bit hard to get the exact details of your account down on paper before the, you know, paper gets wet. So I'd like to share a story about a ship successfully getting away. I'd be remiss if I didn't discuss a few specific anecdotes before going into boring things like history or non-magical explanations. Folklorist Donald A. McKenzie's book tells the account of an aristocratic royal Scottish vessel. There is no date given, but I assume it's old that deigned to sail the Strait of Lewis near the Sheant Isles, despite the menacing local legends regarding blue men that sink ships. As it turned out, a few blue men acted as sentinels, patrolling the waters for errant ships. The sentinels spotted the vessel and swam to the ocean floor in order to drum up a posse of storm kelpies to try and sink the ship. They swam up to the hole and began shaking the vessel violently, but the ship proved to be heavier and sturdier than most. Thus. The blue men rose to the surface of the water and were reported as having gray faces and sleek blue caps. That's not really dramatically important, just a bit of random dramaturgy. The chief appeared at the bow of the vessel and issued forth a poetical challenge. Man of the black cap, what do you say as your proud ship cleaves the brine? Though the burgeoning squalls associated with the blue men added higher stakes to the situation, the captain turned out to be a fucking theater kid because in like two seconds he responded with My speedy ship takes the shortest wave and I'll follow you line by line Said the blue man My men are ready, my men are eager to drag you below the waves Said the captain My ship is speedy, my ship is steady, if it sank it would wreck your caves It was the quickest poetry competition ever and the chief of the blue men was like well you can't argue with that, that would suck for both of us. And they vanished like sea foam on the breeze. And then to himself I guess the captain kept on reciting poetry. The sea wind through the cordage sang with high and wintry merriment. Fucking theater kid. It doesn't rhyme. That was fun. And now I would like to kick off the promised Hebridian history crash course to see what sort of historical events might inform a legend involving murderous blue toned merfolk. The first fun fact that I have about the Hebrides is the fact that the earliest documented sign of human settlement in Scotland was found on the inner Hebridean island of Room from the year 8590 BCE. And granted, that isn't near our mermaids, but still, neat. Celtic people settled on the islands somewhere in between 8590 BCE and the current day, most likely, and were the first to do so on this land. While on its quest for global domination, Rome did do a bit of exploring to confirm that, indeed, Celtic people were there, but they didn't do much conquering this far north. It was also during this time that the amorphous general Celtic people on the islands quasi-transformed into the more specific Pictish people, who were mostly based in northern Scotland. The first Celtic kingdom to record its own history on the islands was the kingdom of Dalviata around the 6th century CE, but they really only kept the inner Hebrides. Norse Vikings took control of the area in the 9th century, and the Kingdom of Norway held the territory for 400 years until the 13th century war between the kingdoms of Scotland and Norway resulted in the Treaty of Perth in 1266, which brought the Hebrides under Scottish rule. For the next 400 years, Gaelic Scottish lords and clans had a really hard time completely getting the Norse settlers out of there, specifically at the island of Lewis, and also had a weird amount of internal infighting, so it was just really awkward out there for a bit in regards to who lived there and who laid claim there. And rebellion occurred in 1493 but didn't result in much. The island of Lewis was fully Scotlandanized in 1607. The treaty of the union between England and Scotland in 1707 brought the isles under British control. The people who lived there really really hated on the British during the Jacobite rebellion a decade later and actions based on that hatred went so poorly that all of the entirety of the Scottish clan settlement ceased on the islands and every property just became an aristocratic estate. And then As the British enacted the 18th century clearance laws, which forcefully evicted Scottish people in order to make land for agriculture, the Hebrides communities were completely devastated, and now there aren't a lot of people that live there. I know, I'm ending on a bit of a downer, but at this point, we are caught up. However, communities do survive and thrive on the islands. I know, because I was there. Now, would you like to hear the account of another encounter? Make like Odysseus in the presence of sirens, and strap in, because we're about to get into it. This next anecdote also comes from Mackenzie, but is also also corroborated by another Scottish folklorist, John Gregerson Campbell, who I mentioned in the sources. Now, completely inorganic location to drop this little detail, but it is important to note that the channel in between the Isle of Lewis and the Shiant Isles is actually called the Sea Stream of the Blue Men, but it is also called the current of destruction because of the sheer amount of shipwrecks there. Not just blue men shipwrecks, it has a lot of normal shipwrecks too. It was on the current of destruction that a fishing vessel actually managed to spot one of the blue men sleeping on the surface of the water. The weather was calm and the fishermen were able to successfully net the cerulean tinted man. And Mackenzie's story says that the mythical being was a heavy sleeper and easy to tie up, but Campbell claims that he struggled a bunch and needed an inconvenient amount of rope to be tied down with. Neither way, two more Storm Kelpies swam after the ship as it tried to bring the man to shore. The two blue men shouted something along the lines of Duncan will be one, Donald andor Farquhar, Campbell chose the cooler name, will be two. The captain, savvy on the Blue Men Lord, was about to respond with his own bars, when it didn't matter, because the captive blue man broke free from his bonds and jumped overboard, swimming off with his two friends to the bewilderment of all on board. Proving to actually be an even quicker poetry competition than the aforementioned anecdote. Additionally, Campbell mentions in other writings having seen the blue men chase after his own vessel out on sea during a storm, though he didn't write too much more on that outside of mentioning the fact that the ship was, indeed, able to outmaneuver the men. But he was never further away than an arm's length. Campbell did fail to mention a specific date, but he was definitely within the borders of the current of destruction. Though yeah, it is really neat to have a first-hand account actually getting written down by the guy researching the supernatural topic in question. Too often is this a rare occurrence. Now, the next section that I'd like to cover is the general lore section, in addition to the explanation slash origins of the legend section, both magical or otherwise. And I'd like to start off by mentioning that this legend is hyper-focused on the sea stream of the Blue Men, that really specific area of the ocean. It is found there and virtually nowhere else. And while a lot of legends are very localized, like, look at any ghost haunting, they don't leave that house. The ocean is big, so it's very weird that it's only this minuscule portion of the Minch that gets any blue man traffic. Also, interestingly enough, the stories of this legend were pretty much never told on mainland Scotland, only the Western Isles. Campbell specifically mentions that this story has no traction whatsoever in Argyll and most of the Highland except in one specific example regarding the Shetland Islands, where a Scottish minister witnessed seeing a bearded blue man riding the wave Poseidon style and chasing after his ship. That anecdote comes from John Brands. A new description of Orkney, Zetland, Pitland Firth, and Kate Ness, written in 1883. But I didn't mention it in the source notes, because all of the details are basically just on Wikipedia, I didn't read that book. Most of the time, folklorists associated the Blue Men of the Minch with fairies in the fae. So like, they're just a part of Celtic folklore, no bones about it. This even explains why they might want to sink ships. They're engaging in trickery. (laughs) Cool prank. I ended the lives of dozens of sailors. Or perhaps they're motivated by land protection. The Shiant Isles are currently uninhabited, but were once the site of a few religiously significant areas to Celtic druids of yore. In addition to like, straight up natural beauty. But other folklorists, i.e. Campbell, have shown up with hot takes, the main one being the theory that the blue men are one of three tribes of fallen angels that fell from heaven during Lucifer's whole paradise lost emo phase. And in this theory, normal ground fairies make up the first tribe, and the northern lights just straight up unto themselves make up the third. This would explain why the blue men would want to wreak havoc upon humanity. revenge Mackenzie was also writing about these three tribes, but didn't really associate them with Christianity, just describing them as three distinct fey groups. A few folklorists, i.e. a guy named Louis Spence, smoked all of the weed and gave up the day they wrote about the Blue Men, and decided that they were just personifications of the sea, I don't know man, what do you want from me? Other little bits and bobs of lore include the fact that some people report seeing the Blue Men of the Minch with green beards as opposed to white beards. ROCKIN' STONE, MOTHERFUCKER! <laughs> it is also said that the Blue Men of the Minch live in a massive cave structure underneath the Chiant Isles, and some people believe that they have the ability to perfectly mimic a porpoise jumping out of the water and twisting, kind of almost looking like a porpoise in the- HEY, WAIT A There There is also a local ritual that involves lighting a candle on the shore of the Minch and pouring a flagon of ale into the sea on the night of Sawane. This is done in order to receive the blessing of the Blue Men, or more specifically, to receive a lot of seaweed from them, because it makes for good fertilizer. So I'd like to put out a quick content warning real quick. I'm going to be discussing race, but I'm more going to be discussing actual skin color as opposed to like racism informing the story. But slavery is definitely mentioned, so skip to this timestamp if you're unsure whether or not you're comfortable hearing that sort of thing. Uh, Long story short, some locals saw black people and they're like, BLUE people. So during the viking age, vikings sometimes took to sending captives from north africa to ireland and scotland as slaves, and some folklorists think that locals may have seen their black skin and mistook it for blue skin. Its hard to say whether or not the legend came first, or the people from africa were the source of the legend, because none of the reports come with a date attached. It was really only in the 1700s that people started collecting these stories into writing, so its a bit hard to parse. But this theory accounts for absolutely none of the magical attributes to the story either way, and it's... I I don't know, I don't think it's a theory based on racism, but like with my limited sociology skills it just feels a bit weird to me. I hope the timestamps worked, you should be here. Piggybacking off of that idea though, some people think that the blue men of the minch were actually Picts, because sometimes Pictish people would have blue tattoos. Hey everybody, it's Editing Forsetti here. I forgot to record a piece of text, so. These two legends, and also the porpoise one, are pretty much this legend's Occam's razor, in addition to the fact that a very small number of actual sightings made their way to print. So they kind of feel folklory and passed down in the first place with no proof. You know what? That theory is way more Occam's razor y than the first three, but let's see if we can't drum up anymore actually uh, wrote that down before I looked up any pictures of Pictish people. I think I put a little jokey text bit in there, but I didn't know that the like blue tattoos were full body tattoos, so I guess that theory doesn't suck as much as I keep making it out to be. But I still don't like it. Thank you, everybody. Uh, I'm gonna leave you back in the competent pause of past Forseti. That guy's a fucking dumbass. But Against all odds, it is the island of Barra that brings us another Kelpie-related legend. Now, this wasn't a blue-tinged man, it was an actual blue-tinged horse, Kelpie style. When doggy style doesn't get you wet enough, <laughs> oh my god, my own blue tongue jump scare. The story titled, The Water Horse of Barra" was mentioned in Winifred Finley's selection of stories, and outside of the fact that there's a Kelpie and a Hebridean island involved, this is completely unrelated to the blue man. But one day, a Kelpie on Bara decides that he'd love to have a bride, and develops a plan. The plan involves his shapeshifting into his horse form and prowling the hills looking for a woman to woo. He at one point plans to shapeshift into a Hawkeye, but decides that for now, the horse form might work. However, one clever girl notices the Kelpie as being a Kelpie, and decides to trap him in a bridle when he tired himself out after his running. She then takes the Kelpie to her farm in order to perform manual labor. He would be trapped in his servile horse form for a year and a day, but over time, the woman started to fall in love with the Kelpie. Everybody get her furry ass. Furries, and my folklore, you fucking better believe it. Eventually, the Kelpie decides that he wants to completely change into a mortal man and stay that way, and also completely wipe his memory of him being a Kelpie, instead of going to Tir Nan Oog, the fey underworld. And then, he does that, and they get married. Happily ever after. Speaking of Bara, the island, not the art style. So Zuma and I actually went to Bara early in mid-August with a zip of the tiger. We mostly went for the airplane journey, but we did do a bit of walking through the hills and dunes, and poked at the Atlantic a bit. The largest town on Barra is called Castle Bay, and it has a population of 300 people. We didn't visit though because the airport virtually disappears at high tide, it is on a beach. That means the first flight out from Glasgow gets there a bit after 10, and the last flight leaves a bit after 2, and the drive alone to Castle Bay from the Barra airport takes 30 minutes one way. It was a bit too close of a timestamp for a non-overnight trip and we did want to watch an airplane take off and land in the middle of that time frame. Naturally, shoutouts to Logan Airlines and this lovely de Havilland Canada DHC-6 Twin Otter Twin Prop airplane that took us there, this is the only propeller plane I've ever been on. Here's some footage uh, where I talk a little actually, instead of just showing you airplane stuff. Today we are going to be flying to the island of Bara. Also, maybe the island is haunted. I haven't looked it up yet. A chariot awaits. island I've been in my life. This is not the busiest airport I've seen in my entire life. So this guy comes here like twice a day like uh, from Glasgow here, and then back, and then here, and then back, and then the last flight is at 2.45, because the tide comes in, and you can't land when the beach is gone. I don't know why it's wet. Uh, don't ask uh, questions you don't want to know the answer to. As for Bara, no real supernatural tales that one can find on the internet. Outside of the aforementioned Kelpie saga, the supposed haunting, at the Kisimul Castle, at the spectral hands of members of the Scottish McNeil clan. This is a castle that's kind of like off the coast of Castle Bay. But none of these stories overrode the blue men of the Minch in regards to subject priority, so you know. This next section is just a little bit too long for me to bother memorizing it. Barra's history doesn't really divert from the rest of the Hebrides. We go from Celts to Vikings to Scottish clans to British people fucking around, The clearances, in addition to the Irish potato famine making its way over and a mass migration to Canada, caused a lot of people to leave. But in the year 2023, people are definitely making a living there. It's a bit of a bucket list destination for aviation and transportation enthusiasts. The airport is a fucking beach. The McNeil clan was bestowed ownership once more in 1937, though they also did move to Canada, so it's not like they were using it. The family bestowed it back to Scotland in 2000 for preservation under the stipulation that they could take it back if they wanted it. The airport has been in operation since 1936. I wrote in my notes, muse on Bara a bit, try to connect Hybridian vibes to the legend. So I got some improvising for a second. It's kind of hard uh, with the specific trip we made. I think I mentioned it in the notes already. I don't remember, but we didn't go to Castle Bay or any like town or anything. We kind of just stuck to the natural areas and the airport. But so i think like the first thing that i'm gonna sound like a basic fucking guy but do you all know the video game dear esther so it's kind of hard for me to because i mean we stared out into the ocean but every time i look in the ocean i kind of like lose myself into this soul-searching realization that the ocean will outlast me forever and it's also older than the oldest thing i can ever fathom to like be in Donovan circle and kind of have this like hippie thing going on in like the most stark landscape that, I like if I were a, a hippie and doing drugs or something, I'd like look at that and get stressed. But I, uh, musing on it, like I can see the landscape kind of sticking somebody in that like uncanny valley vibe in days of yore and being like something haunted has got to be going on, but When the specific case of the Blue Men, that's just very much in the ocean and not on the land. So it's kind of hard, but, like, it's not rough ocean, but it's not, like, forgiving weather. There's rain all the time. I can see there being tides, and I can see, like, these kind of shipwreck vibes happening where people are, like, not entirely certain what a current is or what undertow is, and so they're like, maybe something is sinking the ships. Now... Believe it or not, there have been a few modern reported sightings of the Blue Men. And to make matters even stranger, very few of the contemporary sightings occur in Scotland. Indeed, the U.S. state of New York, all the way across the Atlantic, is where the Blue Men have been sighted. I hope you liked this joke. I hope it's... You know, there aren't... Truth be told, this is definitely one of those legends that doesn't actually show up as like a modern cryptid type legend. The Blue Men of the Minch is a legend firmly rooted in the past. But jokes aside, I did find one article that I didn't list in the sources. The article Mum finds proof of Scottish sailors myth after spotting creepy face in waves written by Josie Adnett and Alexander Smale on the website The Daily Record has a story for us. According to the article, a 38 year old mum named Stephanie Cranston, had a very normal, paranormal-free vacation on the Isle of Lewis in it, and then when she went back to Ingerland, she went through her photographs and found a little something unsettling. A face in the waves. I invite you to use your own judgment. My take is a bit of a hot take, Stephanie. Sounds like someone's got a bit of a pattern-seeking brain. Not me, though. I'm different. I needed that red circle to trick my brain. (laughs) Though, to be fair, Stephanie, once I did zoom in I looked at it, it's not like there's nothing there. Like, I can see the face. Alrighty, conclusions time. I don't believe in this one, but I'm not a staunch non-believer. Like, I can be convinced. And I kind of already spoke my piece about this tale when I covered possible explanations. I think the theories of actual groups of people being mistaken for blue-skinned sea folk are entirely outlandish, but the nameless dateless anecdotes are also outlandish, and we really only have two of those. I would give a lot of money to go into the alternate timeline where the folklorists actually wrote down every little story they stumbled across, because I don't think that those are the only two that have meat to them in history. From what it sounds like, this is a tale that's been mostly orally passed down, but allegedly widely believed. But there aren't enough details for me to bite into this apple. And I haven't really researched mermaids, but I've yet to see an actually compelling mermaid tale. You know, we've we've all got burned by Fiji. It's a cute legend though, and the areas immediately involving the Shanta Isles and the southern tip of the Isle of Lewis are uninhabited, and indeed contain a cave structure, so it's not like we uncovered every stone. But for now, I'm sad to say that I am indeed a hater, and I'd like to be clear, I'm a rational hater. It's not the magical fantasticalness of this tale that's the deal breaker, it's the lack of stories. So if you live around here and have stumbled across a new anecdote that didn't get written down, share it in the comments, I want to believe. And now I think it's, uh, it's time for me to cue that outro music. And it's also time for the review corner. I could do the islands related to the story that I just told. Actually, not joking, there are no reviews. It is uninhabited there. So I'm going to be using the Barra Airport instead. Gaza Prescott writes, Tiny little terminal building literally on the beach where the planes land. Everybody's really friendly from check-in to the ground staff offering to take photos with the little plane. The only downside is the closure of the apparently really nice cafe on site. Four stars. I think actually when we went, there was a significant amount of construction, so maybe they're building it back up. Alan Thompson writes, Our return flight from Bara was canceled twice due to visibility. Dorlina at check-in couldn't have been more helpful arranging accommodation, taxis, and rebooking our flight. She dealt with irate passengers very calmly and efficiently. I can also attest that the staff was very nice. Five stars. Matthias Schuler writes, Fabulous area, beautiful airport to land by plane very friendly lady a check-in praying emoji 5 stars (laughs) I wasn't recording I gotta do it again that should bring this episode to a close though Uh, you can support Fox on Patreon at F-O-R-S-E-T-I-F-O-O-X F-O-X or at Coffee at the same F-O-R-C-T-I-F-O-X. All editing, research, recording, and music is done by myself, and the Fox artwork is done by Sunel Chiquito on Twitter, Shady Pixel on Twitter, MLW on Fur Affinity, and Mountain Dew Drawer on Fur Affinity as well. Final thoughts? Brush up on your poetry. Get really good at rapping. You never know when you're gonna need to stumble across a Fae and then they'll force you to take that roller to Loch Lamont if you're not at the snuff on your bars. Like I was just now. Thanks, Blue Hugo.